Reading from verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory. And that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Okay, well, uh, we're in this thing that we're calling uh, 40 Days in the Word. And uh, in these 40 days, we are uh, loving the Word, we're learning the Word, And uh, most importantly, we are attempting to live uh, the Word of God in our lives. And uh, there's six messages uh, to listen to on a Sunday. There's six small group Bible studies to attend that are meeting during the week uh, with uh, uh, Rick Warren. And uh, six memory verses to learn. Uh, Your latest uh, memory verse on the key fob is available this morning. Uh, do please take it. And as I said, let next week we'll be given an opportunity for people to uh, to show how good their memories are and uh, whether they've been able to memorise these six uh, memory verses. And there might be a prize or two for people that have uh, remembered the verses. Uh, there's also daily readings to read and uh, we're recommending this book, uh, 40 Days in a Word. We've still got a couple left and uh, this is a great resource, not just for the 40 days. There's loads of stuff in it, far more than we can do. So if you if you like a book, there's still one or two available. Do uh, do grab a copy this morning. And, and don't forget the 40 uh, online devotions to watch uh, that you can access through your computer. And uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get people to open the Bibles and to switch 
uh, get switched on to uh, the Bible and, uh, and bring it alive. Okay, we started week one. We said, can we trust the Bible? And we said that, yes, we can trust the Bible. And uh, we looked at that in the first week. In the second week, we were looking at uh, how the Bible changes us. And we said that the Bible has the power to change people's lives. That people have read the Bible and their lives are changed through it. And uh, then we were looking at uh, <clears throat> seeing what God wants me to see. And this was about allowing the Holy Spirit to uh, illuminate God's word. Asking the Holy Spirit uh, to help us uh, see what God wants us to see. And then uh, last week we were looking at how to study a Bible passage. How to study the Bible passage. And uh, this week it gets even more exciting. Last week we were, remember we were going behind the scenes and we said it was like one of those little extras on the DVD. Uh, the, the, the making of a Bible study. And uh, this week we're delving a little bit deeper because we want to, uh, in these 40 days, it, it's a very practical course and we want you to help you uh, to be able to understand uh, the Bible better. This is what we did last week. We were looking at observation interpretation, what does it mean, correlation, comparing other texts, and application, of course, putting it into practice. And uh, this week is uh, it's day 36, we're getting near the end of the 40 days, you, some of you might be pleased to know. And our memory verse for this week is, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. Matthew 7 verse 24. That's our memory verse for this week. So this week we're thinking about understanding the meaning of the text. Understanding the meaning of the text. Uh, This week we want to equip people uh, not just to be able to read the Bible but to be able to read it in a way that we actually get to understand what the text says. This area is a really important area. It's also an area where there's lots of controversy because uh, sometimes people say, well, you interpret the Bible that way and I interpret the Bible this way. As if there's lots of different ways in which we can interpret the Bible. There's lots of different ways that we can apply what the Bible says. Uh, But it would seem to me that surely um, there is only one correct interpretation of the Bible. And the challenge is, of course, to try and find uh, that correct interpretation. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that everybody will agree in uh, in, in the way that uh, we interpret. But it seems to me that that will be an important thing when we come to, to the Bible, to make sure that we are interpreted in the way that it was meant to be interpreted and not just coming at it and, 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 and jumping off and, and thinking, well, this is what I think it means and so this is the way I'm going to interpret it without kind of really thinking about it. So we're going to be encouraging people because the way we interpret the text will be influences the way that we uh, apply it. And, uh, you know, it's very easy to, to, to misapply and misquote texts and take them completely out of context and apply them to something that just happens to fit in with our way of thinking or suits us in a particular situation. Hence the cartoon. Before we go inside, repeat after me, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There we go. So, uh, interpreting the text, understanding the meaning. And the first thing, if you're following on the sheets, the first thing that we're saying is that you must consider the historical context. And some of you think, well, that sounds a bit boring, doesn't it? Doesn't sound very exciting. We just want to, we just want to get and live, live for today. But we have to remember 
that the Bible was written in a particular context. And uh, one, of the, one of the clues to understanding the text is, is to go back to the original context and say, and, and ask questions about that. And so we're asking questions like, you know, who, who is the text speaking to? Who's the text speaking to? Um, what is it saying to those people in that situation? What is it saying to those people in that situation? Part of the problem with, with, we, we cannot help come to the Bible in 2015 where we are, but what we don't always remember is we bring lots of things to the Bible and uh, we, we imagine that the Bible was written for us today. And of course it wasn't. It's not that the Bible can't teach us and speak to us today, but it was written in a particular context and spoke to those people. So it's important that we find out, you know, where 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 the context was and and, and when. So these are questions that, that we ask when we come to the Bible. So when we're looking at our passage in, in John chapter 15 that we are this morning, Jesus talking about the vine and the branches, we could just jump straight in at chapter 15 and, uh, you know, I am the vine and my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And uh, without really considering the context that Jesus is writing in or speaking in. So, for example, when Jesus says, I am the vine and my father's the gardener, who do you think he's speaking to? You can answer me for that. This isn't a rhetorical question. You can. Uh, who do you think, just off the top of your head, who might he be speaking to? Just shout out. Have a go. The disciples? Okay, how do you know that? Was it just a, was it just a guess? Are you, are you just guessing? Because you're absolutely right. He was speaking to the disciples. He was speaking to the disciples. Uh, the historical context, uh, John 13 to 7, are Jesus' final words of comfort to his disciples. It's, it's one long conversation in those four chapters. Jesus is speaking to that intimate group of disciples, the 12 disciples. In fact, for, for a lot of it, only the only 11 of the 12 disciples. So this passage that we're looking at, Jesus wasn't speaking to a huge crowd. He wasn't speaking in the temple. He was speaking to those disciples that had been with him for three years. And... Uh, in, uh, if we go back to John 13, of course John 13 is, is the Last Supper, where Jesus gathered the disciples around, around the table and shared the Last Supper, and he's preparing them, all through these verses and, and chapters, he's preparing them because he's about to go. He's about to go to be crucified and, 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 and die and, and everything else, and he wants to prepare the disciples for that. So this is the context. In chapter 13, it's the Last Supper, and Jesus is talking to the disciples and, and breaking bread and he washes the feet and he's showing the disciples uh, the importance of serving one another because he wants to prepare the disciples and if, you, if you're going to survive and thrive as my disciples you need to serve one another. And then in, uh, in, in John 14 Jesus comforts his disciples. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. My Father's house has many rooms. In fact, we're not so, we're not told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. So he's getting them ready. It's uh, preparing them for when he's not with them. And then later on in John 14, he talks about the promise of the Holy Spirit. He says, although I'm going, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. 
So, Jesus' final words of comfort to his disciples, that's the kind of the what and and the where and the when. This is the context in which Jesus is uh, speaking. And uh, at the end of the passage, he says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that our joy may be complete. So that's, that's the context. And in fact, at the end of John chapter 14, it says, right at the end, come now, let us leave. And that's the Last Supper. So the, the, the context is that they're just leaving the Last Supper. They're walking <clears throat> out uh, towards Gethsemane. And maybe they're walking past some vineyards. And Jesus uses them as an example to give them a little lesson. So that's the, the, the context. You consider the historical context. You ask the questions of the Bible about the what, the where, the when, and the why. And then you must define the key words. Now, what do you think the key words might be in this passage? What do you think the key words might be in this passage? Love, exactly, yeah. Uh, key words. Uh, Love is mentioned nine times in this short passage. So this is a passage about, uh, he he wants the disciples, uh, he gives them that command that you must love each other. Any other key words in this passage, what do you reckon? I know it's a bit difficult because you you expect us to come and listen and and, and, and me to do all the work and and you to sit there and just receive. But this is what I'm trying to get you to do, to to, to, to think and, and, and to engage with scripture. Any other words that you think might be a key word in this passage? Remain could be a key word. He talks about remaining in me quite a little bit, yeah? Could be a key word. Anything else? Fruit, yeah. Uh, fruit is also mentioned nine times. So, um, these are key words in the passage. Jesus is talking about love and he's talking about fruit. Now, most of us probably know what love is, uh, but... What's he talking about when he's talking about fruit? Because I'm, I'm guessing he's not talking about kind of apples and pears and, and bananas, uh, which fruit could mean. Uh, that's the interesting thing about words, isn't it? They can mean lots of different things. You know, if I said the word battered, for example, you know, you can, you can batter a fish, can't you? Um, or your football team might batter another football team. As... Burnley did last night with Manchester City. Well, perhaps not battered, but you know what I mean. But you see how words can can use, depending on the context, uh, they can mean different things. So it's important that we identify what are the key words and that we actually understand what the words are. And I think we understand what what love is. But what about fruits? Because it seems that Jesus wants us to bear fruits. Um, So we must define the key words. And... We are to, this is the third thing, we need to interpret unclear verses with clear ones. We interpret unclear verses with clear ones. So, whoever said remain, you're right, remain is an important word. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So, bearing fruit, whatever it is, If we want to bear fruit, it's produced by remaining in Christ. If you want to bear fruit, you've got to remain in Christ. You've got to be in Christ if you want to bear fruit. That's what the the passage says. I'm not making this up. It's there. You You can read it for yourselves. Jesus says it again and again. He repeats himself. 
to uh, make the point. So bearing fruit is produced by remaining in Christ. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So again, we might say, well, bearing fruit brings glory to God. So to bear fruit, we need to remain in Christ. Bearing fruit brings glory to God. That's what the passage tells us. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So bearing fruit will give me complete joy. This sounds quite good, doesn't it? This is probably something that that we want, isn't it? Uh, If we're bearing fruit, we need to remain in Christ. When we bear fruit, we bring glory to God. We want to bring glory to God. And we will find our joy complete when we're bearing fruit. This is what Jesus says. So it seems to me it's quite important that we understand what it means to bear fruit as disciples. I wonder, what do you think it means? What do you think it means to bear fruit? Christ-like actions. Anybody else? Bearing fruit, what does it mean? Evangelizing. The truth is that the word fruit is used... Everything that we do, yeah. Positive and negative. Okay, and these aren't these aren't right or wrong answers. This is what. In fact, the word fruit is used in lots of different ways in the Bible. It's used forty-five times in the New Testament, and it's used in different ways. In, in Matthew three, the word fruit is the fruit of repentance. Uh, Matthew twenty-six, the fruit of the vine is talking about communion wine. In Romans seven, he talks about the fruit for death. The fruit for death, that is talking about sinful lifestyle. In Romans 15, we receive this fruit. He's talking about offering uh, money as fruit. In Galatians 5, he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, uh, which are godly attitudes. In Ephesians 5, he talks about the fruit of life, which is a righteous and goodness. In Colossians 1, 6, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. He's talking about new believers. And in Hebrews 14, it talks about praise to God, the fruit of our lips. So praise could be fruit. So there's lots of different ways in which the word fruit is used uh, in the New Testament. Uh, But we want to know what Jesus is talking about here in uh, John chapter 15. So, let's delve a little bit deeper. Uh, Looking for the most obvious meaning. Is, uh, is number four. We need to look for the most obvious meaning. The purpose of the Bible is not to conceal, but to reveal. Sometimes you hear people talking, don't you, about, you know, hidden Bible codes and, you know, secrets of the Bible and, and they come up with all sorts of, uh, you know, quite outlandish ideas about the Bible. But the purpose of the Bible is not to conceal things so it's almost impossible for us uh, to find them. The purpose of the Bible is to reveal the truth about God. Some people talk about hidden secrets of the Bible. I'm always kind of a bit kind of uh, suspicious, you know, Bible codes and, and numbers that mean different things. Uh, it seems to me that, that the Bible is, is to reveal who God is, not to conceal and to hide who God is. And so sometimes we just have to look for the obvious If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. 
So remaining in Christ produces answered prayer. Remain in me and I'll remain in you and you can ask whatever you wish and it'll be given to you. Now then, before you all kind of join and form a queue at the end and say, well, I'm going to say, Richard, I've, I've prayed about this and, and God's not answered that and I've prayed about that. Again, we do need to, to, to look at uh, verses in the context of, of, of what's been said. And remember this verse, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's not giving, it, he's not giving this word out to everybody. And so we need to remember that. And of course we know uh, we've all had prayers that haven't been answered. And uh, there's a mystery in that. So, you know, we have to be careful about taking scriptures out of context and saying, well, it says here that whatever we ask will be given. Uh, Well, we know that that's not true. You know, lots of people every Saturday night pray pray that their numbers will come up on the lottery. And uh, about 14, uh, sorry, 13,900,099 don't get their prayers answered. Do you know what I mean? Um, lots of people pray. Uh, and, but we, we, we prayed about much more serious things than that, haven't we? we? We pray about people's health. We pray, you know, for people to come to faith. And sometimes our prayers are answered. So it's not a car blanche, you know, ask and it will be given. It obviously doesn't mean that because we know that from our experience. And some people will, will come up with all sorts of reasons and say, oh, yes, it does mean that, Richard, but it's just because you're not praying hard enough or there's something in your life that's stopping you. And, and you kind of think... That's, that's rubbish. That's rubbish because we've all prayed really sincere prayers, heartfelt prayers. So it doesn't just mean that. But remaining in Christ can produce answered prayers. God does answer our prayers. But not always in the way that we would like him to. Because God is God and we're not God. And we can't tell God what to do. The important thing, if you notice in these passages that we're looking at, it's about asking uh, Jesus seems to be encouraging us to ask, and we keep on asking and asking and asking. That's what I think Jesus is, is encouraging us to do, to ask. And we'll see that as we develop this. So remaining in Christ produces answered prayer. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Again, this is, uh, this is from John 14, the, the, the previous chapter. And uh, answered prayer brings glory to God. Answered prayer brings glory to God. Not to us, but to God. When God answers our prayers, it brings glory to him. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Answered prayer gives me complete joy. You did not choose me, But I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Then the Father will give whatever you ask in my name. So Jesus seems to be linking the fruit with prayer. With asking. With praying. And so he's telling the disciples to ask in my name. And he links that with the bearing fruit. In this passage in John chapter 15. So do you see how we use uh, the clearer verses to interpret the unclear verses? We have to look at the, the context of the passage. And then, of course, when we understand that, we then have to try and apply it to our lives. The, uh, the application, I bear fruit by asking in prayer. The problem is that we tend to use prayer 
uh, a little bit like a flat tire, don't we? Uh, our approach to prayer is a bit like a flat tire. You know, when you, you, you pray when you're in trouble, don't you, most of the time? Most prayers are sent out when something goes wrong, hence the flat tire. Uh, well, Jesus seems to be suggesting that we just need to keep asking in prayer. And uh, it's not that God... We, we could spend, you know, the, another six weeks talking about prayer because it's such a big subject. But it seems to me that, that bearing fruit has something to do with us asking God and praying to God. And asking, of course, for the things that God... It's a kind of, you know, we, we need to ask what, what God wants for us, not what we want for ourselves. What God wants for somebody else and not what we would like. The problem is, is we're very often, our approach to prayer is we think we know what the answers are and we tell God what we think he ought to be doing rather than asking God. And sometimes, of course, we want good things. We do want people to get better when they're ill. We do want to see people coming to faith when they don't believe. We want to see these things. And Jesus seems to be seems to me to saying, Well, ask. And so we just keep asking rather than telling. Asking in prayer. And of course, uh, each week we're saying that, you know, you've not really understood a Bible passage until you've been able to put it into practice and understood it. And uh, the whole purpose of these 40 days in the Word is so that we will read the Bible every day, we will understand it, we will, we will, we will get to the, to the root of the meaning of what Jesus is saying or whoever is speaking is saying, and then we'll actually be able to apply it to our lives. And very often we spend a lot of time trying to work out what it says, and we don't always apply it to our lives, do we? We don't always apply it to our lives. Our, our memory verse for this week is everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. We want to be people that are reading God's word but putting it into practice. So, you know, when God says, love one another, love each other, this is my command, that's what he means. And we have to work out, well, you know, how do we love one another? Well, we're kind to each other, we're generous to each other, we think about one another. But we need to live that out in our lives. Uh, you know, if we're rude to one another or unkind or uncaring, uh, we've, we might have read that passage, but we haven't understood it and we certainly aren't putting it into uh, application. And, and so often people read God's word and they pray about it, but we want to live it. We want to live as people who are following Jesus. And Jesus, of course, said, people will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for each other. Sadly, very often people look at the church and they see a bunch of people that are forever falling out and not being able to agree about things. We want to demonstrate Jesus' love. So, personal application. That's what we're about, and it's great to hear that one of the house groups as a result of their, uh, you know, studies are going out and doing a simple thing like taking some flowers into an old folks' home. That's demonstrating the love of Christ. And uh, we want to be encouraging people to do that, to living out their faith. And so it doesn't impact just us, but it impacts the whole community. So, let's pray together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Help each one of us here to remain in you so that we can do the things that you want us to do. Help each one of us here to love in the way that you have loved us.
Help us to demonstrate that love in our daily living on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday as well as on a Sunday. Father God, we want to pray for people in our own fellowship who are in need of our prayers at this moment in time. And we continue to pray uh, for Dave Howarth and we ask, we ask Lord, uh, that you would surround him with your love and care. And we ask that you would place your healing hand upon him. And we ask that you would bless the whole family, Lizzie and Charlotte and Matthew and Jessica. And we thank you uh, that they have experienced you with them in the most difficult of situations. And we pray that that will continue to be so. This is we ask. And Father God, we pray for others who are struggling at this time those who are in hospital, those who are struggling because of relationships that have broken down. And Father God, in our wider world, we see so much suffering in our world and we pray especially this morning for those who've been affected by uh, terrible cyclones in the Pacific island of Venuta. And uh, we pray that aid will reach them quickly. Father God, we bring all these prayers And we ask in the name of Jesus, who lived and died and rose again and lives again in each one of us. In his name we pray. Amen.